As a history buff as well as a pastor, I am fascinated with the occasion we had this week of a presidential inauguration. I'm particularly interested when the moment uh, when the oath of office is given. Because in a tradition going all the way back to Washington, our first president, the oath has been given by the incoming president with their hand placed on a Bible. Washington had the Bible open randomly to a page for uh, the, the very first inauguration, and that page happened to be on random, uh, Genesis 50. This week, President Biden joined his immediate predecessors, Presidents Trump and Obama, in swearing the oath on a closed Bible, uh, along with the ranks of Presidents Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson before them, choosing to take an oath on all of Scripture rather than a particular part. Some presidents over the years, though, have chosen to take the oath on an open Bible, on a Bible open to verses that were particularly meaningful to them or felt they were indicative of the kind of leadership they hoped to emulate. For instance, Jimmy Carter chose Micah 6.8, What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? George H.W. Bush took the oath on Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Both are certainly uh, wonderful and fitting texts for such occasion to be guided and um, challenged in, in those words as you take the oath of office as president. The books of Proverbs, Psalms, and Isaiah have all had multiple presidents open to their pages. Three presidents have opened to one passage in Second Chronicles. 714, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Every four years, friends, this is a reminder to us as Christians that the words in our holy text, in our holy Bible, that they matter. And that as Christians, we seek to be guided by them in these troubled times, as leaders of our nation have done throughout our nation's history, whether they've done so on, uh, a, on an open Bible, open to a particular text they want to lead and guide them, or on a closed Bible, seeking to uh, be led by the whole of Scripture and God's Word. Now, to date, no president has chosen to take the oath on our reading today in Mark 1, which I think is unfortunate because it would be on the short list of passages I would recommend to a public official who is looking for a passage to guide them in both leadership and service as a disciple. Why is that? For one, this, in essence, is Jesus' own inaugural address. As they're the very first words he delivers beginning his public ministry in Mark's gospel. But more than that, these words offer a clear path of what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus in our calling as his disciples. We catch up with Jesus after his baptism and just after his time of temptation in the wilderness, and he begins his public ministry. Mark tells us that the beginning of Jesus' ministry is occasioned by John the Baptist's arrest. 
John, whose ministry of preaching and baptizing in the wilderness has now come to an end. Now it's Jesus' turn as he comes literally out of the wilderness in temptation to proclaim the good news in Galilee. In true Mark form, there is very little detail or fluff given to this occasion, just Jesus' powerful words that begin his ministry. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. So often in this reading, we want to jump ahead to the calling of the fishermen as they dramatically drop their nets and everything else behind to follow Jesus. And we'll get there, I promise. But it's these words from Jesus, the very first of his ministry, that predicate the calling of the disciples. He begins this address with the phrase, the time is fulfilled. Throughout this pandemic, we've adopted a pretty complicated relationship with time, haven't we? In the past year, time has seemed to encompass a decade, at least, in the glacial pace it seems we've been moving throughout. I remember for a while at the beginning of it, we would have trouble remembering what day it was because they just all seem to run together in an odd, scary version of the film Groundhog Day. Now, as our pandemic rages on, we find ourselves in another strange time. When effective vaccines have arrived, yet we still need to take so many precautions until enough people are able to receive it. We're sort of in an in-between time. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but... We see it knowing full well that there's still a bit of tunnel we need to endure. There are two words for time in Greek. The first is chronos, which is an ordered time, a quantitative time, a kind of time that can be measured in seconds, minutes, hours, and days. It's human time. The second word for time is kairos. And this is the one Jesus says in our reading. It's better understood as God's time. Unlike Kronos, Kairos is not quantitative, it's qualitative. It can't be measured in seconds or minutes, it can only be measured in moments. This distinction is important, friends, because of what Jesus says next. The kingdom of God has come near. The Kairos time is fulfilled. Now God's kingdom is at hand. Not future tense, God's kingdom will come, but rather God's kingdom has come. This is what's known as a perfect tense verb in Greek. It signifies a past action with present significance. God's kingdom, God's reign of love, justice, and peace is not in the sweet by and by. It is here. It has arrived in the person of Christ. God's kingdom is taking shape in our world. God's kairos is fulfilled. So what does it look like for us to live into God's reign that is here and taking root among us? That's in essence what Jesus is saying. And such a question is, is answered in Jesus' next words of his inaugural address. Repent and believe in the good news. 
The word for repent is metanoia, uh, a very important idea in Greek philosophy. And it can mean a changing of one's mind, a transformation or a reorientation of one's perspective or worldview. The dawning of God's kingdom, the fulfillment of God's kairos, beckons personal and communal transformation. To reorient our lives towards the love of God and away from the things that separate us from God and one another. This is the good news Jesus calls us to believe in, to trust in, to strive in in our daily lives. This is what it looks like to live into God's kairos, into God's kingdom taking shape in our midst. It's this urgency of God's kairos, of God's kingdom coming to form, coming to being in our world that the four fishermen, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, respond to next when they drop their nets to follow Jesus, trusting his promise that now they will fish for people. The question then for us now as it has been for every generation of disciples going back to these four fishermen, becomes, are we willing to reorient our lives, our minds, our whole beings towards this kingdom taking shape in our midst? In the midst of a national reckoning on systemic racism and of deep, bitter divisions in our community, we can reorient our lives towards the God who in baptism breaks down the dividing walls we've put up, reminding us that we are all beloved children of God. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Perhaps when we reorient our lives around this kingdom taking shape, we will see our differences as a gift. As theologian Brian Bantam has observed, Our lives are made whole in these differences. Difference is the opportunity to choose one another and to choose God. Friends, while God's reign is still taking shape in our world, Jesus tells us that the time to live into this kingdom is now. Like the first disciples, now is the time to drop our nets and follow Jesus. Now is the time to reorient our lives towards God's reign. Now is the time to be brought together with God and with each other, to put an end to our divisions and to see one another as brothers and sisters, as God's children. Now is the time to reach out in love to our neighbors who are suffering. We may not be preparing to take an oath of office, but friends, as disciples, We can always commit ourselves anew to Jesus' call to all who seek to be his disciples. Follow me. Friends, may we go and do so together in love. Amen.